Hello and welcome to the Telehealth OT podcast where occupational therapists, parents, caregivers, and patients share their telehealth stories. My name is Dr. Reina Oliveira and I am the owner of Telehealth OT Services where we specialize in working with children with autism and also provide education and trainings to occupational therapists about telehealth. I have been able to share my story with the world and now I am extremely happy to give others the opportunity to do the same. Enjoy today's Telehealth OT story. guest here today is Linda Alchemy. And I connected with Linda on Facebook a while ago, and I was excited to learn that she works for um, various telehealth companies, and she has a whole different perspective than I do. And I wanted to bring that to you all today. So Linda, will you tell us your OT story? How did you first find out about OT? Yes. Hey, Renee. Um, Thanks for having me today. Uh, So I didn't have a special story about getting into OT school. I was a pre-med student, uh, majored in biology, and um, I applied to med school the first round and that didn't work. I wanted to get into the medical field or in the sciences. And so um, after a year waiting, I looked into other programs and I found a new program in our area. I'm from Oklahoma and so I lived in Tulsa and the program opened in Muskogee, which was about a 45 minute drive from home. And it was um, starting, you know, I think, I think it was starting in August and I applied mid-July, so I barely made it. Um, and so I applied to OT and um, I'm so thankful I did. If I knew that from the beginning, I probably would have applied to be a CODA and then transitioned on to be an OT. So. That's awesome. Actually, my story is pretty similar. Like I wanted to be a pediatrician and yeah. I wanted to go to med school and it didn't work out. And I'm really glad I found out about OT. Um, like definitely in life. Life works the way it's supposed to, right? Everything happens for a reason. So, Linda, how did you first find out about telehealth and what made you decide to go in this direction? So in school, they talk a lot about the service delivery model um, that's given, you know, telehealth is one of them. And I got to see it in my first field work. It was for my psychosocial level one field work. Uh, It was at a clinic there. They had a PA seeing patients all day. And so I thought that was really awesome how the flow was going, how patients were connecting. She seemed to have a really good personal connection with them. And I was like, why not? You know, if if a PA can do that, why can't an OT do that? And so um, that sort of stuck in the back of my head because I was in a long distance relationship. So my husband was across the world. (laughs) And uh, so I was thinking if I get a full-time job after I graduate, there's only limited PTO or certain amount of time I can take off because I fly back and forth quite a bit. And I thought telehealth would be an answer because I could take my laptop and work wherever I want to. And uh, after I graduated, sure did get my first job in telehealth. That's awesome. So you have only telehealth experience. You have no in-person experience whatsoever. For school-based, I do though. For, uh, sorry, uh, school base is just telehealth. Um, I do have experience in inpatient re- rehab. I've worked oh, okay. at a hospital for quite a bit and then um, low vision for one of my field works. Yeah. Oh, so the school based part, you don't have any school base in, no. in the schools, but only no. telehealth. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Awesome. Um, so, well, I want to touch on a couple of things. You mentioned the distance. So can you talk about 
where you live and how that works with like working in the States because you don't live here, right? Yeah. So I'm from Oklahoma and I'm licensed in Oklahoma and multiple other states. And my work is in Oklahoma and in New Mexico. So those my clients live there. Um, I live in Sweden now. Uh, so I go back and forth. My family's in the U.S. and my husband's here. Um, but I just recently moved here. Like I got my paperwork and everything settled here. Uh, before then, I was going back and forth quite a bit. And so, um, you know, I had to make sure that I could work abroad here. So I messaged the um, Occupational Therapy Association here, and they don't have any rules yet, <laughs> yet, um, about therapists working in Sweden and then offering services in the U.S. So as long as you're licensed, where your clients live, then you're good to go. Yeah. And then you have to have liability insurance and make sure your CEUs are up to date, just like you would be in the States. Right. So let's talk about now the difference between getting multiple state licenses to work in telehealth versus applying for multiple telehealth companies. What is your preference? What is your advice to someone looking for a job in telehealth? So for me, I wanted to invest in multiple licenses because I wanted to do this full time. I didn't want to just have a small caseload where I did it as a side job. And so if I had more state licenses, I could have more clients, Um, especially from where I'm from in Oklahoma. It's not as big as in like California or Washington state. Uh, So I started where I am and I started with the um, state next to me, which was Texas. And um, I applied to my first uh, company and they had a client ready for me in my state. And so I thought of other states that I could get my license in based on different positions that I saw available online for other companies. So I got my license in Wisconsin from my pocket um, because I saw a company that I contracted with. They were having potential students there. and it's pretty costly. So I got my Texas, Oklahoma, and Wisconsin license out of my pocket. And it's about almost 300 to $400 each. And you have to think about the time. So it doesn't get you know done in one week. Some of them took four weeks. Some of them took six weeks. And so you really have to plan for that. But then one of the companies I work with, they um, had an opening in one state. And they said, hey, would you be interested in committing to 10 hours of work or whatever amount that was? And they paid for my license. And that was awesome because that was about $400. Is that something that they offered or is that something that you asked for? Would you recommend that people ask for that? Mm-hmm. I definitely would ask that um, considering, you know, the because you're a 1099 contractor, right? And so there's a lot of things that you have to make sure you take care of, which is taxes, for example, or benefits. And I think it's very important to ask, okay, if you have a potential caseload, would you be willing to invest in my license for the state or um, X amount of states and see if they would be willing to pay for it. Okay, so um, we talked about, okay, we talked about licensing, we talked about getting a job, asking. Okay, I have heard, so I don't have any employees and I have heard about this whole like 1099 versus W-2 employee. Mm -hmm. Do you get to set your rate as a 1099 employee? So I'm going to be honest. I was a new grad when I first started, right? So I graduated in the fall of 2018. And so I started doing telehealth in December 2018. 
Um, so for me, whatever pay I got was what was I going to, it was what I was going to take. Um, and so I just looked briefly online, you know, for different prices, but there wasn't a lot of information. Um, but I did work in a hospital. And so I was like face to face is, you know, it was close to about 35 to 45, you could say. And that's a W-2. Um, and so I know from being a contractor, you get a little bit more, but then you're, you have to be responsible for your taxes and benefits. Um, and so they offered to pay X amount of money. And so I, I got interviewed for about maybe five companies and I got contracted with three. And from what I saw, rates were between like 35-ish till about 65-ish. Um, and so that is a big range, right? It is, yeah. But each company has its perks. Um, some of them you can do virtual and face-to-face. -face. So if you're in an area where you'd like to do both, you can do that. Some of them pay for your license. So that is something to consider. Some of them pay for your planning time. So if I'm email, emailing the parent or e-helper, they pay for that. Some pay for progress reports. Some don't. Um, but you definitely get paid for direct services, which is one-on-one -on -one with the client or IEP meetings or consult time, you know, those essential direct services. I love that. Okay. So you tie in mm -hmm. all of the benefits that they're offering into your rate right. so that, okay. So that you make sure. It and I didn't have much experience either. So, okay. yeah. So really though, like to educate our audience, a company shouldn't necessarily be dictating like what your rate is. You, you should be walking in and saying like, this is what I charge or is that not okay? Well, um, I didn't go that approach and I'm not sure if that's really how it worked in my experience because most of them did my, you know, received my background check and my application and said, okay, we can offer you this much for virtual services um, and we have an opening in this school. Would you be interested? Okay. Okay. Interesting. And then I would sign the contract and agree to that. So. Okay. So what other kind of considerations would you suggest to people when they're picking a company or two or three, um, you know, to work for aside from the benefits, like platforms, mm -hmm. um, type of clients, like some other details. What do you think? Yeah. So right now I'm contracted with four companies. I see, I'm actively um, seeing three, uh, in, ugh, I'm actively seeing students in three of those companies. And so uh, what was really important for me to consider was their overall ratings. You know, you, you can go to Facebook, you can Google them, um, look at their website, see if they have a lot of information. It's not like a shady website because um, it, it's important to be part of a, of a team or a company that's really going to care for you and the client. Mm -hmm. And I feel like some of the vision and missions really, really reflect that. Um, I'm really blessed. All the companies I work for are awesome. They have legit accountants. They have someone that you can go to for questions about direct services, someone to go to about evaluations. Um, I've had amazing support throughout all the companies. And another thing really to consider is what do they use? Some, some companies have their own website um, for services as like a platform and for documenting and all that. Some have um, Zoom, which is a which they have the HIPAA compliant version. Um, some offer you an email, so it's a specific email for that company. Um, and so I think it's just ask, asking them what what is you know what is the uh, the company offering in terms of uh, 
you know, the, the email, the platform, um, billing, how does that work? Um, you know, stuff like that. Okay. What about, you mentioned support and you mentioned you had really good support. Mm-hmm. What about mentoring? Like, you know, a lot of new grads think about telehealth and they're like, I'm going to be by myself or home health and I have no one to turn to. What does the support look like with regards to mentoring or reaching out to the multidisciplinary team and that mm-hmm. kind of thing? So as far as mentoring, um, there's different aspects to it. First one is they all mentored me um, and got me prepared for the platform that we use. So I had a little, you know, crash session on, let's say, for example, if I was using Zoom, um, they taught me how to do it. And I had a little test on it. Um, if it was another platform, same thing with another company. Um, they also guide me through like the billing system. I, if I did like a note, how it should be documented, um, timing, you know, we do like 30 minutes, an hour, all that stuff. So I felt like I was really prepared in that aspect. Um, so job wise, they, they did inform me. And then um, I also reached out to them saying, hey, you know, I'm interested in observing a session with you, uh, with a therapist or even a speech therapist. I just want to see what's the gist like um, from, from the company's perspective or from a, another discipline. And sure did get the chance to do that. Or I got a one-on-one uh, meeting with a senior therapist or I should say seasoned therapist, and um, I got some really good input. That's great. That's great. Yeah. So you're, you know, you weren't just thrown into the fire and said like, "Good no. luck." Yeah. Okay. Good. Um, so I know this question comes up a lot for you and for me both. Um, a lot of people want to know about observing, such the students primarily, right? They want to know mm-hmm. about observing sessions. Um, yeah. What is the process like for you as an OT working for these companies if someone wanted to observe, not just, not, not come, don't ask Linda to observe, okay? Just want to know, like, what should a student ask a company, you know, how can they go about observing with any company? Well, um, so most of my students are either at a brick and mortar school or they're homeschooled through the state's virtual school. So there is a school component that we have to go through. And there's the company too. So I have, you know, a couple of parties I have to go through before I can say for the student, yes, let's go ahead and schedule, um, you know, an observation. Uh, I I think you have to sign consent form, you know, from the company's end and the school's end. I personally haven't had anyone observe a session with me. I've had um, another therapist or, um, you know, a speech therapist or someone from another discipline join in on a session for the student that we're both working oh, with, that's good. but um, we're both in the same company and we're both working with the same student. Gotcha. So we both have the same platform and stuff like that, right? Um, but as far as a student coming in, I think you probably would either you know contact a therapist that you know, like, hey, can I do that? And then the therapist would reach out to the company or the school and see what's the process like. Gotcha. Yeah. Let's talk about what are some of the big name companies or even the smaller companies that you've heard of that people, I get actually people ask me this all the time. Like what company should I work for? Like I can't find in Google, like telehealth and I can't find a company. So let's talk about, and I can share some too, some company names 
I feel like I really struggled in that um, because I was trying to look for something right when I was trying to do my field works. Um, I was like, maybe I could do something in telehealth. And that was so hard to get information on, except I stumbled across one blog and that really helped direct me. I mean, it's from otpotential.com. I think you can Google it. Um, it's uh, OT Potential and the title is called, I have it here, um, telehealth occupational oh, whoops, sorry. telehealth occupational therapy guide okay um and it's written by sarah leon sorry if i mispronounced her last name um but she has a whole bunch of information about telehealth and different companies there's a lot of big names out there and um, i definitely encourage you to go in and look look them up and see what you think for example there's um talk path live there's therapy source there's e-learning um enable my child e-luna e-learning, um, Devon Healthcare Group. Uh, I've came across all those. Yeah, um, tinyeye.com therapy. There's so many different companies and so far, most of them provide um, school-based therapy and some of them do have private pay clients, which I find is a lot less um, in terms of services. Yeah, so let's talk about real quick, um, pediatric versus adult telehealth and you know the companies that you work for do they offer adult or is it I know you only do school based but do they also offer adult services and do you have any insight as to what that may look like um, one company offers private pay so if someone's interested in therapy let's say um, I am a mom that wants you know private services for my for my grandma or sorry for my sister or mom or whatever <laughs> Um, I could contact them directly and there would obviously be like, you know, some kind of consent form or agreement and I could uh, get access to a therapist um, for X amount of sessions for whatever I need. Uh, and that would be out of my pocket. So insurance wouldn't be involved. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about now about um, all the awesome. We'll give everybody a little bit of a, a sneak peek about what you shared with my um, telehealth OT accelerator members yesterday. You guys, Linda shared so many awesome resources yesterday. I'm probably the I'm probably catching you off guard. She's like, I'm not ready. Hold on. <laughs> you don't have to pull them yeah. up. But will I you have just, them install my desk. <laughs> will you just like talk about like I don't know how you can be a better telehealth provider? What resources do you use? Um, how do you come up with activities? People always want to know, like, how do we come up with activities? Yeah, um, definitely you have to think a little bit more outside the box being a telehealth um, provider because you, you aren't there in person, but that doesn't mean you still can't be as effective, right? Um, for me, being a long distance relationship really got me to think creatively how to connect with another person. And so I didn't feel like the camera was a barrier. I just had to make sure that you know, I, I can that. feel that connection. And that really applies to therapy as well. Um, so, you know, definitely the first thing I do is whenever I first sign on with my client, I try to comment about the shirt that they're wearing or about the background or something so that they can see that I'm noticing, you know, who, who they are or what's going on. Um, we talk about what you did this weekend, what's your plans next week, stuff like that. Um, especially for kiddos, I really try to establish rapport my first session. 
Um, there's a PDF that I found online that's awesome. It has a whole bunch of boxes to fill, your pet, your hobbies, favorite food, favorite place to go to. And so if they have a dog that's their favorite, I'm going to make sure I ask about the dog, you know, so I want to make sure that I'm personable. I'm really showing them that I'm caring for them um, because there are days where I know uh, my student didn't um, have a really easy week because their cat died, you know, or something like that. It's really important to establish those connections. I also try to be as interactive as possible. So telehealth doesn't mean at the desk. I've had students um, where, uh, for example, kiddos that were homeschooled, we went out to the playground. Um, my student fed the birds. Um, one of my students was making a sandwich. So you can do so many different things other than just sit and write or draw. Um, you also have a platform to use. And so, for example, Zoom allows you to share a screen, um, allows you to use a whiteboard. Why not color the same sheet that your student's coloring on the screen? Um, you can do a competition out of that. And then um, for like fine motor manipulatives, you know, there's so many things you can use. You can use rubber bands, a can, um, doesn't have to be anything fancy at all. You know, like you have some Play-Doh. There's just so many different things that you can use um, that are functional. And at the same time, they translate into whatever um, occupation you're trying to work in. I love that. I love that we're talking about function. I feel like one of, that's the, one of the biggest things that I drill is function, function, function. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. You mentioned something that made me think of another question. Okay. What about, um, there's a question I get. Is it effective? Like, is telehealth effective? Okay. I love that question. Um, from my perspective, you know, yes, absolutely it is. And I, I can't wait to see how, you know, much more improvement there is going to be in this. Now, I have to also mention that I was prepared to enter the telehealth world. Unlike the current situation, you know, a lot of schools suddenly just said, we're going to do this virtually. Teachers got into, you know, uh, virtual services for education, parents got involved in homeschooling, therapists got involved in um, delivering services via Zoom or whatever. So it was a huge change. You're mentally not prepared for it, right? And even um, your whole job, your whole aspect of telehealth was like, what? So that is a little different, right? Um, but I feel like students in, in my area, so students really understand technology, they use computers, they use phones, they use any kind of tech-savvy device out there and do what they want to do. So I even have kiddos as young as like six years old. You know, they're drawing something and then they know to bring the camera down so I can see. Or let's say they lost a tooth. They're going to bring their tooth all the way up to the camera like, Miss Linda, I lost my tooth. So they understand there's someone behind this camera that they are talking to or connecting with. Um, and then, you know, you're not there over their head. Sometimes that is a positive um, aspect in telehealth. It gives that person to be comfortable in their environment without having someone to feel like, you know, they're over them, giving them instructions. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I remember, mm -hmm. I remember the other thing you mentioned about like building rapport and your, and your relationship. Um, you know, how that like translated. And I feel like a lot of people ask me like, you know, how do you connect with your clients? And you mentioned, you mentioned some of this, but like, 
I have had, and I've shared this before in the group, I have had amazing experiences where like there was, I was almost crying and there was like true emotion in this session. Absolutely. And it's just, yeah. oh, it's just awesome. When I first started, I had a student after a few sessions, um, we were working on fine motor skills and I told her just make something out of Play-Doh. You, you be, you know, do something of your own and surprise me. And then she brought it up and showed it to me and she made me, she made my big head and, <laughs> and she did arms and she's like, this is you, Miss Linda. And I thought, wow, like after three or four sessions, she yeah. was just the, the creativity, the connectivity, all of that was awesome. Absolutely. It? I think it was awesome. Yeah. It's yeah. beautiful. Like until you mm -hmm. experience it, it's like hard to tell somebody like, yes, we do connect with our clients via the computer and do amazing yeah. things together. And yeah. And not only clients, even teachers, you know, I reach out to teachers um, for consult minutes or before <laughs> an IEP meeting or for an evaluation and same thing, you know, we're, we're emailing, we're discussing. Sometimes we talk about strategies, not only for the client, but for the whole class. I've had teachers that implemented, you know, analogs, for example, in the whole class and so many positive feedbacks on that um and 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 really for us we're advocating for ourselves too and i like that connectivity with others just because you know it shows that we can do it even if we're not down the hall i love that i love that yeah. so you brought up animal walks and let's talk about sensory processing sensory integration and telehealth mm -hmm. do you incorporate sensory strategies into your school-based sessions so we all know, you know, from a school-based perspective, it's a little bit different than an outpatient setting where you would get um, PEDS therapy. Uh, so a lot of these schools that I'm working with actually provide speech and OT virtually. So it's not like there's an OT room with like specially sensory stuff for the kiddos. Um, so a lot of the students, if I'm doing an evaluation on them, or if they come from another school with an IEP, uh, um, you know, there's probably the sensory profile that was done. Um, and a lot of that feedback, you know, sort of puts things in perspective for you. So a lot of these students are on consult minutes, maybe, um, you know, 10 minutes uh, for every semester, whatever time, you know, the school thinks is appropriate. So consult with the teacher so that we can keep discussing what can we implement in the classroom as far as breaks, um, sensory objects, whatever it is. Uh, so that we're, we're meeting the needs of the student in the classroom. Another thing is um, I like to do this goal with some of my students, I saw it from another therapist, was make a sensory toolkit. And so in our sessions, we're making objects like maybe a weighted sock or um, a fidget toy or something like that. And then the student has access to it in the classroom and they can implement it in the classroom. Um, I feel like that's worked too. Um, and then, some of these students, uh, as far as movement breaks, you know, that's, I feel like, really important because it works for other kiddos, too, not only the sensory-rich-seeking kiddos yeah, out yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. What about but you? I, what about you? Mm -hmm. kiddos? Um, it's pretty much the same, actually, across the board. Mm -hmm. I personally try to incorporate movement in my sessions, so there's a few websites that show yoga poses, for example. I'll put that on the screen, and then we can both do it or just the student can do it. Um, we do Simon Says, uh, we'll do letter formation in a sensory rich medium. Obviously you have to prepare for then because you're not there. So you have to email someone to prepare the rice or 
Play-Doh or whatever you're going to be using. So I do use sensory rich items for my sessions. Awesome. All right. So you brought up something um, that I wanted to talk about and I forgot. Can you talk about like the scheduling of your sessions, you know, with the company, like, do you set your own schedule? You wanted, you want full time. So you want 40 hours. How many kids do you see in a day? And what Mm -hmm. does like your scheduling process look like? Okay. So I started with one student, my very first company, one student. And that was really good for me because, you know, I really was able to dive into telehealth, not feeling very uh, stressed or nervous. And um, just before school ended this year, I had 45, about 45 students on my caseload. Um, Yeah. So I, because I transitioned into being as full-time as possible. Uh, So what happens with the companies I'm contracted with is they'll say, Hey, we have this school that has 10 students. Are you interested? They'll send them over. I'll be like, yeah, sure. So they'll send over the contact info um, for like the e-helper or special ed coordinator, whoever is going to be in charge of the therapy schedule. And um, based on my openings, I'll tell them, hey, I'm open on Tuesday mornings from this time to this time and Friday afternoons from this time to this time. And then we can try to coordinate something, you know, most of them are 30 minutes a student. And so we make the slots there. And we try to stick to that schedule for the remaining of the semester or the school year. That way we're both on the same page. Now, um, what's nice in a brick and mortar school is if that student's absent, They can sometimes bring someone else in for therapy. Um, At home, if they're homeschooled, it's a little bit different. You know, if there's an emergency situation, um, you have to try to reschedule, which can be difficult because the student has other things to do. Um, At a brick and mortar school, I find it a little bit more easier to continue, you know, doing your daily schedule. Sometimes I see eight students a day, sometimes I see 10. Um, But I do definitely give myself some breaks in between. I can't do like, you know, 10 sessions back to back. I can't do that. Usually I'll do maybe four at most back to back, a 30 minute break and so on. Um, But also uh, at a brick and mortar school, sometimes they have specific hours and specific days for therapy services. And so they don't want students out of like the core subjects for therapy. And so that can be a little bit tricky. I'm, I'm delivering services in two different time zones. So like in Oklahoma, New Mexico, there's an hour difference. And so for me, if someone can't come in at eight o'clock in Oklahoma, um, I'm going to have to wait until it's nine o'clock Oklahoma time, you know, to see my first student in in New Mexico, it's still 7am when it's eight o'clock in Oklahoma. So you you just have to consider also the time zones, um, you know, for your schedule. Man, I have messed up time zones so many times. With it's schedule. it's hard, right? Like, I don't know how you do it. Yeah. Um, all right. Thank you so much for doing this, Linda. Absolutely. I appreciate you so much. Um, I really enjoy it. Yeah, I love it. Can okay, you wait. Let's talk one more thing. How can they reach you? You have a page, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I have a Facebook, Today's OT, Today with apostrophe S, Today's OT. And really, I, I'm not putting a lot of my personal information. It's just whatever resources I stumble across from awesome 
other Facebook pages. I share and try to be as interactive as I can. So you can definitely message me there. Um, it's a resource for OTs, OTAs, teachers, parents. I try to um, share information that can be useful all across the board. All right, Linda, thank you so much again. I'm so happy that we connected. I feel like it's been over two years ago, maybe a year ago. Um, thank you. <laughs> you're amazing. And I am so grateful for you being the first one to be interviewed for this podcast. And I'm excited to see what happens with the rest of the interviews. <laughs> Yes, I'm I'm the firstborn in my family, so I'm used to being a guinea pig. Yes. <laughs> so totally proud, not wrong. I love that. All right. Thank you, everybody. Take care. Okay. Bye. Thank you guys. Have a good day. If you're an occupational therapist and you want to know more about telehealth, be sure to join the Telehealth OT Facebook group for more information. I'll catch you on the next episode.